grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When the people of Israel were about to enter into the promised land, God through Moses gave his people promises of many blessings that the people of Israel will experience and receive from God's hand for living in a bountiful land. He promised to them that they are living in a land flowing with milk and honey. He promised to them that they will experience much prosperity as long as they remain faithful to the Lord. But God also warned them that if they depart from faith in the true God, he will bring about various types of punishments. And these punishments were intended to cause the people of Israel to return to the Lord. For when the people would go about on their wayward ways, God would eventually raise up different types of challenges for his people, causing them to recognize their own frailty, their own feebleness, the reality that God is God, and that they must turn to him in every time of need. After all, he alone could rescue them from their plight. A good way to remember the discipline that God would use upon the Israelites as they turned away from the Lord is this. First, if they had turned away from the Lord to walk in ways that would bring about their hurt, he would bring about various devastations upon the land. And if the people did not repent from these devastations, he would bring about greater deprivations that God's people would face. And if that did not bring them to repentance or help them return to the Lord, then God, God's people would face deportation. And if deportation doesn't even cause them to repent, then they would finally face destruction. So there were various devastations and then deprivations, deportation, and then ultimately destruction course the goal would be that after a few of the smaller things then they would repent. Now this may to some people seem a little cruel but discipline and chastening are often necessary for God's people to remain God's people. You may recall as it is written in Hebrews chapter 12 God declares my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As far as the words of the preacher 
as recorded here in Hebrews chapter 12. So with this in mind, let's consider the events that take place in our Old Testament reading, which is recorded in the book of Joel. Joel was a prophet whom God had raised up. Joel probably lived in the southern kingdom during the time of the various kings after Solomon. And if you recall, when Solomon was king, there was a united nation of Israel, but then upon his death, the kingdom split into two. And so Joel was likely in that southern kingdom in the region of Judah. And in Joel chapter 1, verse 4, the prophet writes these rather stunning words. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So that is the devastation and even deprivation that happens upon the land during the time of the prophet Joel. Could you imagine the land being left so bare by all these different infestations of locusts? Perhaps you can recall a time when the Great Plains suffered from the plagues caused by the Rocky Mountain locust, a locust which is now extinct. Maybe you recall it through reading the, the books by Laura Ingalls Wilder, she wrote about those locust plagues and those menacing creatures. They consumed everything that they saw, which was green. And plagues like this even happened in the promised land to God's own people, as we just heard from Joel. Why would this happen? Well, as I had shown you, they had received their warning. God had told them through Moses that if they follow after other gods to their hurt or go after immoral ways, then God will, after a fashion, according to his timetable, bring about various, various calamities upon the people and upon the land. So in Joel's time, the people were, were turning to other gods to their own hurt. And as Joel also replied, reports that many of the people had lived lives of drunkenness and even immorality. So God raised up for them that which they needed. Of course, they didn't want to receive any type of discipline from the Lord. Nobody likes it if something like a huge locust plague would come upon them. But they needed this chastening from the Lord. After all, it is written that God treats you as sons when you endure discipline. And what they needed was both the law and the gospel. The law came to them in two different ways, through the prophet Joel and then also through that locust plague. God chastened his people, showing them that they are not in charge in the way that they may think. He stripped them bare of all the possibility of being able to grow things, making it making them feel rather vulnerable. For after all, the Lord can give and he can take away. God also sent the prophet, Joel in this case, to warn his people of the impending destruction. And God sent Joel to call God's people to repentance, a working of the law. 
So Joel then invited the people to return to the Lord, to call upon the Lord, to turn to him in repentance and faith, receiving from the Lord his many blessings. So he also applied to them the gospel. In our Old Testament lesson, Joel proclaims why we would want to return to the Lord. Even the same Lord who sent that devastating locust plague. Why? Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As it is written, he even relents from bringing disaster. He can cause the land that has suffered devastation to recover quickly, for God is with his people. While God reveals the law to us in many ways, so in this case, through the locust plague and through the prophet Joel, the reality is when it comes to the gospel, it is only revealed to us through his word. Now, of course, the word can have various forms. It can be preached, it can be written, it can, it's found in the scriptures. That is the sole source and norm of any legitimate teaching. And then also, of course, the word comes to us in other ways, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, that is through the sacraments. And so while the law can come to us in ways apart from the law, from the word, such as this plague, and also the law is written in our hearts as the scriptures teach, meaning we have a conscience, the gospel is only revealed to us in the word of God. And of course, through the scriptures. We don't learn the goodness of God in nature. We might see some good things happening, but nature reveals to us the law, not the gospel. We don't hear of forgiveness in nature. We don't hear of God's son in nature. And we certainly cannot learn of our triune God in nature. We certainly can't learn in nature that Jesus went to a cross and paid for all of our many sins. We don't learn the love of God in nature. We don't learn the saving work of Jesus in nature or in our own minds. It has to be given to us, revealed to us through the word. So in that word, through that gospel, we hear of Christ and his love, that he bore our sins in his own body. He went to the cross. He did become human flesh so that he could die and take our sins away. But then as the gospel also reveals, death could not contain our Lord. The Father accepted the sacrifice which Jesus made for you and for your sin. And so Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave, granting eternal salvation by grace to all who believe in him. Such marvelous blessings we receive in this gospel. Therefore, the prophet Joel instructs the people to call an assembly, have God's people gather together to fast in repentance and faith. They would do so to grieve over their sins and acknowledge their sinful condition, and then God will restore them through the gospel by giving them the forgiveness that Jesus would earn for them on the cross. But why? Why would they do this? Why should they do it now? Why should they go ahead when Joel says to do it? Perhaps some would be tempted to say, well, let's just wait and see if the land recovers first before we gather in God's house. Maybe we'd be jumping into this too soon. Others might say, well, I can't go to an assembly after I suffered such great devastation. I'm an emotional wreck and I don't want to be caught crying in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Others may say, well, I'm getting married. Let me go on my honeymoon first, and then I will return to the Lord. Just let me go and do these different things. You might recall the different excuses that Jesus speaks of about getting some animals and needing to go test them out and, and things like that. But for all those who make excuses or de desire to delay, Joel had a response to them. He said in our reading, verse 16, Assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. So when is the time, according to Joel, the time to return to the Lord? It's not tomorrow or the next day or when we think it's convenient or when we finally get our own ducks in order or our life put together. But instead, Joel says, even for the nursing infants. So don't wait. But even while nursing infants, it's time to return to the Lord. And then he gets even more clear where he says, the bridegroom let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. It suggests they're in different rooms, meaning they are about to get married. And Joel says, now is the time to gather this assembly. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to return to the Lord. So if you're about to get married in 30 minutes, wait. Stop. And go and return to the Lord immediately. Gather together, engage in repentant fast, participate in the corporate repentance of the congregation, receive the absolution offered by God, and then you can go on with your plans remaining with the Lord and with the Lord's blessing. Now you might say, well, why would he make it so urgent? Can't they just go ahead and finish this wedding ceremony that they had planned? Obviously, God extols marriage. He established marriage. He's the one who decides what marriage is, and he has declared it's between a man and a woman. He established it even before the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were joined together in holy matrimony. And God, of course, wants couples to join together in marriage. He blesses marriage, just as Jesus was at the wedding at Cana, blessing the marriage there, so also Christ blesses our marriages. And he wants marriages to married couples to have children. He does not teach us to delay with marriage until maybe after college or we land some sort of high-paying job or this or that or whatever else we may dream up or invent for why we think we should invent or, or, or wait with marriage in our modern day. But instead, God promises to bless couples and the, their union whether they're 18 or 81. Yet in this case, Joel is saying that it is time to drop everything and return to the Lord, an instruction that even the couple about to get married must follow. Why? Because of the urgency of it. When we are caught up in our sin, it is time to stop. It is time to repent. It is time to return to the Lord. It is time to receive the forgiveness of sins and the blessings that Christ has earned for us on the cross. In a sense, Lent is like that. Couples are encouraged to consider getting married before Lent or after Lent, although it's not commanded or forbidden to have a marriage within the season of Lent. There are different types of fasts that we may participate in during the season of Lent. 
We may give up some of the things that we love to remind us of Christ's bleeding, dying love that he has had for us. We give up flowers in the sanctuary during Lent to await the beauty of the lilies on Easter Sunday. We have buried our alleluias, and we are giving up the glory and excelsis in the divine service. And after our fast, during these 40 days of Lent, we celebrate with great joy the resurrection of our Lord. We rejoice that Jesus is triumphant over death and the grave, that he paid for our sins fully and grants us eternal life. And that is why our gracious and merciful Lord invites us to return to him. For he is the giver of every good thing, especially he gives us life and salvation through his only begotten son. Thanks be to God and have a blessed Lent. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life ever.